You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. It's a, ho- a program on Carmelite Spirituality, my host in studio today, as she is each week. More often, frankly, Francis, uh, over the last year than I've been, uh, is Francis Harry. How are you today? I'm feeling so blessed, and I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight. Woo-hoo! Well, and we're celebrating a special feast day, which um, uh, somehow in some uh, parts of our church gets lost and, and passed over, but one that's very significant and actually goes with our conversation today. Um, you want to tell us what feast we're celebrating today, Francis? Yes, it's the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, a momentous, magnificent, historical, outstanding, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, a conversion. <laughs> yeah, because Paul was such a gift to the church. And there are three things I think we want to emphasize in our conversation about that today. The first is that very point of Paul being a gift to the church. Paul was selected by God. We're going to read the scripture verse that relates to that from Acts here in just a moment. But he was chosen very specifically as an instrument of God and gifted to the church. Secondly, in the encounter with Jesus Christ, and of course it's not uh, debatable that it was an encounter on the road uh, to um, uh, or with Jesus Christ, uh, Paul experienced the light. And we're going to talk about the light. And thirdly, this idea of conversion, which Paul continued to challenge himself on and through his letters, the church uh, as a whole, on the need for a continuous conversion, a continuous encounter uh, with the living God and with Jesus Christ, and an experience with that light. Uh, Because through that light and through those continuous encounters, which we will define in our conversation today as contemplative prayer, we deepen our experience of Christ, our love of him, and we become more fully like him, which is, of course, what we are called to be in the gospel. So, Mark, since we're going to be talking at the beginning about this conversion and how prayer is going to help in our conversion, um, I picked this prayer to begin our program with. It's the Fatima Angels uh, Prayer from the Fatima, Portugal. And um, I just think it relates specifically to the conversion of hearts. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore thee profoundly. I offer thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference by which he is offended, and through the infinite merit of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you know, we're all poor sinners, so that goes for all of us. And we want to stay not poor sinners, but we want to maintain our poverty of spirit, of course, as we talked about briefly, Francis, before we came on. And it will come up in our conversation both uh, this week and next as we continue through a text that we'll describe in just a moment. But I want to begin um, this uh, conversation with this challenge, which actually comes from uh, Paul, again, is uh, found throughout his letters, but 
in his own life, which is the most powerful message, I think, Francis, that the saints give us. Right. And that is the witness of their own life. You know, no a saint ever achieved sainthood through their writing or their speaking, but um, they did so through their lives. And of course, many saints, one of whom we just spoke about a few minutes ago before we came on, um, really left nothing in terms of writings to the church, but uh, that particular individual's personal life um, was the model for so many to um, to uh, pursue their own life of holiness. But Paul leaves us with this challenge. And then I want to read the uh, scripture verses relating to his own conversion. He is uh, told by our Lord uh, that he will be the um, prophet, if you will, to the Gentiles, and he is called to go and preach the gospel to them. And the challenge that leaves us with is, who might be Christ, who, who might Christ rather be sending us to speak to uh, in the same way that he sent Paul to speak to the Gentiles? You know, conversion and encounter with the living God is never for ourselves. Right. We should seek it as a gift to the church in exactly the same way Paul was a gift to the church. And we should understand that it comes with responsibilities as every great gift does it comes with the responsibilities and you know there have been some incredible conversions in the carmelites um just think of saint Teresa's conversion when she looked at that statue and when therese looked at the bleeding hand or or her christmas conversion i mean uh brother lawrence and then the tree in the winter wonderful conversion moments that have all gifted the rest of us and <laughs> so if you don't you, know those uh, stories as well as francis does <laughs> You'll have to go look them up, but they are all great conversion stories and they are all gifts to the church and they lead everyone did lead every one of those individuals to a deeper call uh, to their responsibilities to the church. But if we can, let's go, Francis, and read from Acts. Yes, this uh, is Acts 26, 13 through 18. Do you want me to read it? Please. All right. I'll proclaim it. Um, On the road at noon, O king. I saw a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. It flashed around me and those who were traveling with me. All of us fell to the ground, and I heard a voice asking me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hurting you to keep on kicking against the cattle prods. I asked, Who are you, Lord? The Lord answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, because I have appeared to you for the very purpose of appointing you to be my servant and witness of what you've seen and of what I'll show you. I'll continue to rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. You will help them understand and turn them from, their dar from darkness to light and from Satan's control to God, so that their sins will be forgiven and they will receive a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And of course, this heavenly vision that Paul speaks about, his obedience to it, is the uh, very witness of his life, going to preach to the Gentiles, despite what Christ warned him in this uh, revelation, if you will, would be a very difficult path. He knew uh, as a consequence of this, he would suffer. And of course, we all know Paul suffered greatly at the hands of those whom he was sent to preach to. Uh, 
You know, Mark, I have to say that it's any interesting that I used the Fatima Angels Prayer because when I heard, uh, again, when you were reading the part of the Lord and uh, I'm thinking about that light, I'm thinking of that, um, the miracle at Fatima where the sun came, that light that came forth. So um, I was like, wow, what a nice connection. I didn't even realize that when I picked that prayer. <laughs> All right, sorry to, sorry no, no, to sidebar right. there. <laughs> I, I think that was the Holy Spirit uh, uh, guiding both of us. <laughs> we need that help constantly. But um, a, a, a reminder of a couple things before we end again with that, that most critical question. Paul's conversion is in this instance, of course, a very significant event. It was a remarkable turning from somebody who, by the way, was on the road to Damascus to persecute and, in fairness, right. kill Christians. Mm -hmm. And this is where he ends up. Uh, it began a path of holiness, which was experienced in large measure through his suffering. But it also uh, brought about uh, so many conversions in the church. So the question, which we started this with, who is it that Christ is calling you to speak to? Maybe it's only one person. Maybe there's one person in your life that Christ is saying, I need you to be a light to that person. I need either through your example or through your uh, words to be a light to that one person. Who might that be for us? It's a question, a challenge uh, from none less than uh, St. Paul and our Lord uh, himself. Of course, one of the best ways for us to show our love for the Lord uh, is to fulfill his great commission, which was as much true for Paul as it was for each and every one of us. And we read in the Gospel of Mark sixteen fifteen, where our Lord said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Again, reiterating Christ's challenge to us that we must begin this work. We must continue this work of sanctifying the world by going out and preaching the gospel. And of course, we know, Francis, um, your, one of your namesakes, uh, Francis of Assisi, is famous for having said, preach the gospel constantly, if necessary, use He's words. Right. There are many examples of that uh, uh, particular phrase, but uh, it's so true. Well, of course, uh, we are to follow Paul and what Christ asked of him, to turn them from darkness to light, from Satan's control to God. But then, so in order to do that, though, we must encounter that light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. So how do we do that? Well, if you've listened to our conversations over the last uh, many years, you know this entire theme for this uh, program is uh, the call to contemplative prayer. No matter who we are, no matter what our walk in life, no matter what our past, uh, we are all called to an contemplative encounter with the living God. Uh, and so I ask you, Mark, maybe we ought to talk about what this contemplative life, what is contemplation, just to kind of put that little definition before people's minds so that as we talk about this, it will have some better context. Uh, John of the Cross would define contemplation and this as a... Um, as a degree of prayer, a very deep degree of prayer, he would say it's the infused contemplation um, is the direct, secret and peaceful and loving inflow of God into the soul. And what our response to that would be, uh, of course, open, receptive, attentive to God, um, attentiveness in love and to remain in rest and quiet. It's a very passive kind of prayer. And a contemplative life um, is an amplification of all of that. Yeah, you said two very important things here, Francis. 
first um, using John's own terminology, it is a passive, right? Um, this is the a passive night of spirit that enters us into the contemplative encounter. We should not shy away from the fact that suffering will be involved. We see this in Paul's life. We will experience it in our own. I'll tell you that the deepest level of suffering, which is the central part of our conversation today, is of a spiritual nature, not the material nature. When right. you, when the Lord begins to prepare you for contemplation, you said it, and we should reiterate it, this is a very deep level of prayer. This is not what we begin with in vocal prayer if we've just gone through a conversion, if we're just moving into uh, a deeper encounter with the Lord. Contemplation can be gifted to us, but we have to recognize it most often comes after many, many um, uh, years, frankly, of active participation on our part before the Lord begins to draw us into that. The second thing you said, though, a couple of times was this is not an event. This is not a uh, con- contemplation is not an activity. It is literally a life changing. A lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we are not contemplatives because we have occasionally engage in contemplative prayer. We are contemplatives because we fashioned our entire life, all of our relationships, our entertainments, the things that we pursue, the things that we choose not to pursue. All of the elements of our life have to reflect that contemplative experience. Otherwise, contemplation is not only not possible, but it's very um, uh, unlikely that we will ever even become familiar with its elements. So I would say the contemplative life is really... Um, a life that is freely and fully given to God completely. Yeah. And um, so uh, as we want to encounter God, we need to practice the prayer to be open to this. And I also might add that this prayer, this contemplative prayer, there is growth in it. There's a degrees uh, of depth that you know, you can always go more because God is infinite yeah. and he's always drawing us deeper. That's the wonderful thing. There is no limit to this. In fact, it's those who have stopped on that journey who said, you know, I've had enough. I'm fine. I'll just stay here and wait for, you know, uh, my transition, if you will. Um, th- this encounter with God, we can never get enough of God. And in fact, as the saints tell us, most especially St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Lisieux, I think most perfectly described to us that as we get deeper and deeper into our encounter, our desire only increases. You would think that we would sort of quench the desire. In fact, it goes the opposite way. It's as though we, you know, had a passion for ice cream and we kept eating it and all it did is incite a desire for more. In (laughs) fact, most often what happens to us is we we reach a a, a point of satiation with that and we're, we're either uncomfortable or we certainly push away from the table. Not true with God. The the uh, active pursuit of him only increases the desire. So, you know, the rest of this conversation um, will be about this desire to encounter this heavenly light and what our saints, especially our Carmelite saints, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John the Cross, have to say about seeking that light. And I don't want to minimize or pass over this idea of the light. The, the Eastern Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, emphasizes this very dramatically. And John does actually in his own writings. Um, in, in fact, he wrote an entire um, um, you know, work on this, um, but 
the, this idea of the light, of encountering the light, is very real. It's something that is available to us. Now, of course, not everybody experiences it, and you don't have to uh, have such an encounter in order to become a saint, uh, but it is a, a very significant encounter with the Lord, exactly in the way that St. Paul experienced it, as a bright light. You know, those who have had uh, Francis' near-death experiences, which we did a right. program on recently, talk about this encounter with the light, an overwhelming beauty, an overwhelming sense of consolation, of peace, and so bright that the eye can't actually behold it. The body is given uh, sort of an increased capacity that allows it to see in spirit what it is encountering. That's a remarkable thing, and we should all desire that. Not, again, for ourselves, but so that we can be greater uh, instruments of the Lord in serving the church. Right. So to guide our conversation, we're um, going to refer many times to uh, the reflections that are in a book by Father Donald Haggerty. It's entitled Contemplative Provocations. Um, And I've also used um, many of his quotes um, on our Facebook page on Carmelite Conversations. So uh, those of you who are following us on Facebook will, will be familiar with them. But this provocation invokes the word provocative or something that stirs our imagination or emotion. And, of course, it reminds me of the word provoke, which means you're going to get a reaction, <laughs> and the, the Lord does want a reaction for us. And, and how are we going to choose here? How are we going to respond to the Lord? That's very important here. Now, as this program um, is about Carmelite spirituality, I want to make sure that we draw the clear Carmelite connection In the introduction to this work that Father Haggerty wrote, um, he makes clear that he's drawing much of his material um, for this book from the writings of the doctors of the church and masters of prayer, who else but St. Teresa of Avila and St. John the Cross. And then he also acknowledges St. Francis de Sales and in more modern times, Father Thomas Dubay, who interestingly, um, he wrote that book, Fire Within, uh, which was exclusively about the teaching of St. Teresa and St. John on prayer. So we're in great company here. In fact, as I was reading this book, Contemplative Provocations, I, I kept thinking, this is John in the contemporary <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with that comment, Francis. I think it's wonderful. And so many people may say or have said in the past, well, gee, I really wrestle with John of the Cross. You know, he's deep and he he has these profound insights. And I'm sure there's a great deal there, but I just can't work my way through it. In fairness, I had the exact same reaction when I read him the first time uh, since I've become very familiar with John. And I do find him very appealing. But I, I uh, agree wholeheartedly with what you just said, that this is actually taking John, and to a lesser extent, Teresa, because she's not as unapproachable as John is, but taking them into the modern uh, sort of lingo and mm-hmm. lexicon uh, that we are more comfortable with. And I'll give you an example of that. Just before uh, Father Haggerty makes reference to, uh, I'm sorry, just after in his introduction, makes reference to St. John of the Cross and St. Uh, Teresa of Avila, he gives this sort of central theme. A soul becomes contemplative. This is very much like what Francis said earlier. A soul becomes contemplative most of all by giving to God a complete 
gift of self. Mm -hmm. Now, he goes on to emphasize that there are exacting demands for this relationship, but he makes clear that he draws this largely from the Carmelite uh, masters of prayer, as you referred to them earlier. Well, we will, uh, of course, not be able to do Father Haggerty's work justice in one conversation. We're going to follow up uh, Uh, on this. So, hint, hint, there's a series here. (laughs) absolutely. We're beginning a series today. (laughs) And and I'll give Father Haggerty a plug because I I loved this first uh, work of his that I read um, and was able recently to identify another book that was just released uh, called Contemplative Hunger. Uh, literally just came out in January. I have acquired a copy of it, hope to read it uh, very soon, and we may later do a series on that. But this is a great place to begin. Uh, I, I want to say something about his approach in the book because I think it's important. He intended uh, this book to be used for prayer. It's yes. not an intellectual work, and I hope you find that comforting. Uh, and so rather than write a series of lengthy theological reflections, some of what uh, John is at times criticized for, he chose instead to write in a way that we might use this work in prayer. He uses smaller paragraphs or two reflections uh, about a deeper aspect of a pursuit of God in prayer and also how God may respond to us seeking him. Yeah, and this is so that, you know, you can read this little blurb, this little section, and then you ponder it. You know, this is not meant to be raced through. We want to ponder it to get the the seeds that have been planted in there. Uh, the other point he um, makes, and I want to emphasize, is, is that we seek in contemplation what we most desire, and that is this encounter with the living God, this light, uh, this experience, not for the experience itself, Bo, but but instead, as we said earlier, so that we can grow in love, we can become uh, more um, useful instruments in the hands of God. We should set the stage um, just briefly with this first comment, which I made a, a little bit ago. A soul becomes contemplative most of all by giving a complete gift of self. What is behind that message? That this is not done for ourselves. It is done entirely for the other. The other, of course, is Jesus Christ and ultimately his ability then to use us as an instrument in his work. So the larger question here that we will be floating around is how do we give up ourselves completely? Because God is calling each of us ever deeper. And how are we responding? So we're going to set up some of those um, scenarios for you here. Um, We're going to start with this first section of Father Haggerty's book on concealment. And actually, this first section reminds me of um, the series that we did with Father Martinez on the hidden God. Yes. Uh, yes. Very much like that. These two go together hand in hand. Um, But this speaks about something we're all familiar with in prayer, and that is the simple fact that um, we have a hidden God, and he often uh, plays hide-and-seek with us. You know, he's not always easy to be found, and I know John the Cross tells us if we want to find the hidden God, we must go hide where he's hiding. (laughs) And, And, you know, again, to reiterate, this is not the early stages of prayer. This is a more advanced, a deeper experience, a deeper encounter. We've gone through certain... um, struggles and trials to get ourselves here. And now God is calling us to this much deeper level where he will begin to do much of the work. But the early experience of him is one of concealment, of hiddenness, of departure. And we'll struggle with that. But we want to walk you through uh, both our reaction and what God may be doing in this. Uh, On this first uh, section, there is a quote from St. Gregory of Nyssa, who says, To find God is to seek him unceasingly. Here, indeed, to seek is not one thing and to find another. 
The reward of the search is to go on searching. The soul's desire is fulfilled by the very fact of its remaining unsatisfied. For really, to see God is never to have had one's fill of desiring Him. This is exactly what we said earlier. God creates a situation where we constantly desire Him more. Therefore, we constantly continue this search. And we find the experience of that actually fulfilling in and of itself. Even though, uh, most often in this life, we will not uh, have that experience of an encounter directly with Him. And those who have read St. John the Cross's spiritual canticle will identify with this hidden God from this stanza of the spiritual canticle. Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, and you were gone. You know, you may be saying at this point, well, boy, this seems kind of fruitless. Why would I do this if God's going to avoid me? He's going to be hidden. He's going to be concealed. Well, Father Haggerty has a very interesting observation about that. He says this uh, uh, concealment, this hiddenness, may be the most unnoticed grace in prayer. Think about that, the unnoticed grace in prayer. We are drawn back constantly despite every difficulty and even our, our frustration. Because, of course, we know God is not avoiding us, but he's creating this draw. It's like a magnetic pull, a spiritual magnetic pull that draws us back to him because we know there's nothing better for, you know, for, for who, who else shall we go, you know, but the Lord. Well, and on this idea of holiness, just before we break, I want to read one last sentence from Father Haggerty again. He says, perhaps the saints became holy because they never made peace with the impossibility of seeing God in this life. They accepted it, and they continued the search. They continued to deepen their love in pursuit of him. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
and comfort for the weak. Always power enough to save. Always merciful love. There's always hope. Always peace. Strength and comfort. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're picking up on a conversation that began with our identification of the feasts we celebrate today, the conversion of St. Paul, what a gift that was to the church, how each of us are called to this contemplative encounter, a conversion, if you will, that St. Paul experienced on the road to Damascus, um, which both uh, gives us a deeper experience of our Lord and holds us responsible for, uh, like St. Paul, then carrying the gospel to those around us in our lives. Um, And we concluded that uh, early part of the conversation by acknowledging that Um, In order to experience the Lord, whether it's a manifestation of light, uh, certainly an outpouring of love, uh, we are called to contemplative prayer. We are called to um, continue this search uh, for the living God and an encounter with him. And we want to pick up on this theme of um, experiencing Christ, experiencing that light, uh, and also emphasize here that what we are speaking about Uh, is not only the idea of light, but also our desire to see the Lord's face. Um, We as Carmelites uh, are very familiar with this teaching on the holy face of our Lord, on the divine face of our Lord. Yeah, we did a long series, like four or five uh, different programs on the holy face, which um, are in our archives that you can find on Radio Maria under Carmelite Conversations. And we understand and we discuss some of it in that series that Francis mentioned that there are a number of manifestations of the uh, holy face of our Lord's face. The, there is, of course, the, the Lord's suffering face in his passion, best understood as the image on the veil, uh, which Veronica offered to him and which, by the way, is still uh, something that you can see in Rome. And of course, there's the Shroud of Turin, which again reveals the wounds of Christ, but also begins to suggest the powerful light and heat that must have occurred prior to his resurrection. Mm. And, and finally, of course, there's the glory of Christ's face bathed in light, an unapproachable light, we are told by so many saints, a light so glorious that we are almost blinded, as we read earlier from St. Paul. It's also the light that we read about during Christ's transfiguration on Mount Tabor uh, when he revealed himself in glory to strengthen the apostles before his crucifixion. Uh, And finally, there is also this same light we read about so often in the saints uh, when when the saints speak about their encounters with Christ and even more recently in the numerous near-death experiences that we read about. And we've, again, done a program on that recently. And the consistency, Francis, of those encounters with Christ as bathed in light, as glorious, as the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. Of course, in every instance, it's happening to me now. uh, Our human language falls short of the ability to describe. Right. So the point is that we must seek Christ in all things and all these manifestations, but, you know, uh, find him within our hearts. And in contemplative prayer, 
we attempt to make the gift of ourselves, this complete gift of ourselves to the Lord. And no doubt um, is part of why God conceals himself, because, you know, he, he realized we, we need motivation to keep coming after him. Right. Um, so he wants us to understand just how deep our desire for him must go in order to really find him. This is not a cheap grace. This is a costly grace. I remember first reading that term in Susan Mudo's writings, um, and she writes a lot of, of Carmelite stuff. Um, she's she's not a uh, Carmelite, but she loves Carmelite spirituality. And, and yes, this uh, costly grace, it's very important for us to understand the uh, importance of that. Yeah, I read something today, and I apologize. It was in Father Haggerty's second book uh, entitled uh, Contemplative Hunger, uh, and it wasn't him, it was somebody else. It may have been St. John Vianney, but uh, I may be mistaken. But the quote was, it's very difficult to be a part Christian, you know? <laughs> be sort of a half-time <laughs> Christian, yeah. It's, it's a, more difficult than just saying, you know what, I, I don't believe I'm I'm just going to go live my life. Being a part-time Christian is a very difficult thing Yeah, to it's do. sort of like, be all hot or be all cold, but don't <laughs> yeah. be lukewarm. Yeah, the Lord doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also reminds us of, uh, of St. Teresa of Avila's a challenge to us that, you know, it is at this stage more often than not that the soul will turn back, right? Right. This is where she says, courage, my daughters, speaking to her uh, sisters in the convent, courage, my daughters. This is where the soul most often will lose courage and turn back. Why? Because we've worked so hard to get here. We've had so many wonderful encounters with the Lord. And as we're going to see now, Francis, um, faith really has to take over because God is no longer uh, treating us like children. And He's we treating be weaned. us like adults. <laughs> He's weaning us, exactly. And we have to have courage. Uh, and we're going to describe here, and I think Father Haggerty does this very well, though, again, these are teachings very familiar to us Carmelites. We're going to describe how faith takes over, but the intellect still serves its purpose here, right? Right. In fact, so, that leads to what John of the Cross talks about with faith. Can you... To reach union with God, St. John of the Cross says, um, the intellect must obviously blind itself to everything. It must live by faith alone, which is the only proximate and proportionate means to union with God. Now, this is a very central theme for John. In fact, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, wrote an entire book, his uh, doctoral thesis, on this idea that the soul must proceed at this stage by faith alone. Faith as the central theme within John was the the um, uh, dissertation of St. John Paul II. And what Father Haggerty's stressing in his book on, in these series of reflections is that we should not seek or desire to achieve mental or intellectual or even emotional satisfaction from our efforts at prayer. And that's where a lot of us mess up. Um, yes, of course, it's fine to seek God's will in prayer. We should do that constantly. But this is not that kind of prayer. We, we're, we're trying to grow in faith. And you don't grow in faith when you're begin, being given lots of consolations. Yeah, here we're seeking a genuine expression of love, not on God's part, but on our part. And you can imagine if we give up, if we back away, if we say, no, the journey's become too difficult or I'm confused or, as Francis said, my intellectual uh, uh, satisfaction has been disrupted. I can't reconcile what's happening now, so I'm going to quit. Um, then that's not a very uh, a, a faithful expression of love. And so that's what we're entering into now. And this Faith is like must the, take over. Yeah, this is in the, this is the spiritual marriage that we're preparing for the the um, 
in good times and in bad of the marriage vows, uh, even when it doesn't feel good, we're going to stay determined and committed and persevere in prayer to to grow, to receive his gifts and, and attentively listen to God. Well, Father Haggerty has a very interesting quote in this regard, talking about exactly what Francis and I have just been sharing. And he says, we may not be able, again, this, at this point in prayer, we may not be able to hold a clear thought of him, God, in our mind. Nonetheless, God is known inasmuch as we give ourselves to him. A surrender in love unites our soul to God. And in a mysterious manner, we can know this in prayer. The effect on the soul of such an act is immensely different from that of staring alone in darkness at what may seem the absence or the disappearance of God. Now, even this, Francis, might be a bit challenging uh, for for those who are not uh, perhaps familiar with either Carmelite spirituality or this stage of prayer. So let's just try to uncover what Father Haggerty is saying here. He's suggesting that we will experience this absence, this uh, abandonment is perhaps not t- too strong a word, concealment perhaps a better. But our reaction here has to be simply to surrender in love, give ourselves over, abandon. If we're sitting in the chapel, in the darkness, that's his reference to alone in the darkness. If we're sitting there, we've fulfilled our portion. We've made our commitment. We've disposed ourselves to an encounter with God. And even though he may disappear, even though we may experience absence, we can know through this prayer, through this um, um, commitment on our part, that in fact, we are encountering him. How do we know that? Well, one of the things you said, I'm going to jump in here, is when you experience his absence, that... That proves that there was a presence exactly. that you're missing. So you're left with a hunger. But, you know, we do, we don't just sit there and not pay attention. We, we, this is attentive listening um, right. uh, with love. All right. So go on to what you were going to say. Well, again, if we've made our commitment, if we have um, done what we know we need to do, this is where the intellect does support us. I understand. I've read Father Haggerty. I've read St. John of the Cross. I've read Teresa of Therese. And I understand that these moments are going to incur. What is my reaction? Teresa says it time and time again, Teresa of Avila. The only remedy for giving up prayer is to go back to prayer. If we're praying, if we're genuinely seeking, we must know that God is still seeking us, even though we experience it as absence. And what's happening to the soul is that it is sort of removing the dross the, the intellectual confirmation that we described earlier, the material consolations that we may have experienced early in our prayer. God's removing all that so he can get to the purest expression of love that is within us. It is within our capacity, but he has to gift us. He gifts us in two ways, one by his absence, as ironic as that may sound. But Father Haggerty make, makes reference to it here as well. He says, a surrender in love unites us to the soul to God. And in a mysterious manner, we can know this in prayer. How? By praying. Francis and I cannot sit here and describe it to you. My only counsel to you is go sit in that darkened room and desire to encounter him, most especially, ideally, before the Eucharist, uh, before the cross, before the tabernacle. Uh, but be in prayer, seeking him. Let us take, for example, in fact, the significance of the cross and the Eucharist in our lives. 
None of us pretend to fully understand the depth of the meaning of those two important aspects of our Catholic faith, the cross and the Eucharist. We could go on uh, at length about their importance to us, but we don't fully uh, comprehend them. What Father Haggerty is saying here is that it is fine to dwell on them for a time. It is fine to ask Jesus to reveal something about his hiddenness in the Eucharist, the, the meaning of his cross. But ultimately, in contemplation, we must be viewed, uh, moved to view them predominantly as a mystery as portraying incomprehensible love. That's what they are. They are examples of God's incomprehensible love, the cross and the Eucharist. The Eucharist is being uh, left with us for for, uh, all time until he comes again. Uh, And the cross, of course, the, the perhaps most explicit example of his love. Ultimately, we can only express our appreciation for these uh, two uh, gifts, and our response must be one of love in re- in reaction to it. So Father Haggerty goes on to say that even if we spent many hours in concentrated study and came away with an understanding of some profound mystery of our faith, it would only be possible to grasp this with the support of prayer. And of course, that's just in one aspect of it. We'll never get the full mystery, right? We all know of many individuals who have begun a too intellectual search for the truth and ended up in ruin. They, they fall away from prayer. And this is probably one of the biggest things in our day is that people need it. They want to, everything has to be intellectualized and utilitarian. And, you know, that's just not the way God's working here. Yeah. Show me what, what I get out of it. Show me how it works. Show yeah. me how it makes my life better. Yeah, they're or, measuring God by their yeah. own human standards. And we know from our studies on uh, with the hidden life with Father Martinez that, you know, we, we can't judge our prayer and how God is working us by our limited knowledge. You know, if there's a central theme, again, I, I opened our program, Francis, our conversation with a reiteration of it. We've said it many, many times. I think it's true of Father Haggerty's writings, both this book and the, the one that will follow. Um, all of this is a response uh, to what I referred to in a conversation that we had before that we came on the air, a gasping on the part of so many souls today for this contemplative encounter with the living God. Right. We need it. We desire. We don't even know how much we need and desire it. And, and St. John of the Cross tells us that this experience, even a, a infinitesimal uh, uh, um, encounter with God, this love that comes as a result of it can have more impact on the church as a whole than many, many hours of of uh, effort on our part to uh, engage in active types of ministry. And I'm not diminishing active ministry. It is important. But as Father Haggerty said at the beginning, and we'll reiterate again, only what we receive is, a, is what we can give. Only in encountering that light can we then give something to the church. And so this, this contemplative experience, this contemplative encounter is very important, most especially for our age. And when you say we're gasping, we're, we're suffocating yeah. for God. You know, prayer is to our soul as air is to our lungs. And isn't it interesting that we have this analogy before us of Pope Francis with one lung? Hmm. And then that speaks many ways of, you know, the desire to unite the church to um, turn back to God so that we can get a full breath, a fresh air (laughs) of his life, his divine life. Well, in the end, the only real insight that we can come uh, to about God uh, in the evidence of the cross and the Eucharist are a deeper awareness of his presence, 
Uh, and this, of course, is the fullest expression of our faith, our r- realization, uh, despite what we perceive as his absence, our realization that, in fact, he is present in our life and in our prayer is our fullest expression of faith. And that God is real. <laughs> That's the important point. Absolutely. <laughs> and that reminds me of this verse in Scripture from 2 Corinthians three eighteen, But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Now, we contend that this unveiled face, at least uh, uh, on some level, this is our faith. We must understand this aspect of contemplative prayer. And indeed, how this transformation is occurring is a central theme for our relationship with God. Again, what Francis said, we are being transformed if we are just sitting there before the Lord, and again, actively listening, as Francis described, St. John of the Cross says, don't feel like you're wasting time if you're sitting there actively seeking with your heart, actively seeking the Lord. You are being transformed in that moment. And it may be that your words are useless, and that's okay. Just be quiet. Um, this is a great time, a call to be quiet and to just gaze at the Lord and receive his gaze back because he's always looking at us. It's us who turn our eyes away from him. And we should not be concerned if if there isn't clarity of that vision or a consolation. In fact, Second Corinthians thirteen twelve says, for we see now as in a mirror dimly. Our vision is distorted because of our human condition, because of our fallen condition, uh, because of so much clutter, noise, if you will, uh, that comes to us from the world, we don't have clear vision. What Paul is saying here is that we will never come to a full understanding of the mystery of God only through our intellectual musings. There are two reasons, of course, for this. As I say, first, our limited intellect as a result of our fallen nature. Secondly, and, and simply, the inadequacy, as we described before, of our language. We've all read many times from those who have led the, ha, had those experiences of Christ how language simply does not allow them to communicate uh, what they encountered. So even though our minds and our language may have their limitations, We should not become discouraged about whether our time in prayer is in fact changing us or transforming us, configuring us to the image of our model, Jesus Christ. Because this is where, like you said, Mark, our intellect can help to sustain us with the teachings of faith, giving us firm guidance regarding both the reality of a loving God and the very personal affinity he has towards each one of us, which is very important for us to remember. Um, but our our intellect, uh, remember, is limited, and in faith takes us beyond where our intellect will take us. Yeah, Father Haggerty has a very good um, uh, reflection on that very point, Francis. He says here, if we recall in prayer that God is infinite in his being, in his timeless, uh, immutable nature, and exquisitely uh, personal, these truths of the divine nature are bound at times to freeze our intelligence. What does he mean? Our, our intelligence kind of goes into lockup mode, you know, and we get into a do loop where it, it, again, as I said, we can't reconcile it. The mystery of the divine nature flees beyond our mind, but it is only a portion of our mind that is overwhelmed. Another awareness of adoration, of pro, uh, pro, uh, 
prostration, sorry, I'm hung up on that word, is possible. An unfathomable goodness is present in a God who is infinite in his love. We need not ponder this truth with perplexity, even as the notion of infinity in God will always vanquish our intelligence. Again, what Father is saying here is, yes, there is a portion of our intellect that is overwhelmed, but it is not overwhelmed in our capacity to express adoration, prostration, uh, uh, a loving gaze, as Francis said earlier, continuously looking at our Lord and just being with him and being aware of his presence. Our intellect can grasp that. And of course, we know that our mind's inability to comprehend God is is um, part of our human condition. But, you know, this incapacity does not imply that God is aloof or absent. And Father Haggerty tells us, on the contrary, his love and goodness speaking of God, infinite as they are, invite our confident turn in love toward him. At the same time, his love is so far beyond the capacity of thought that we have but one recourse. Pay attention here. We must aspire to surrender to him our whole being. He must be approached by our giving ourselves in a manner also beyond our current comprehension. Wow. So so in many ways, we're saying the same thing uh, again and again, although with different words. It is beyond our comprehension, but we must aspire to surrender our whole being. In other words, we accept that it's beyond our comprehension and we still give ourselves in love. This is the the greatest challenge, uh, Francis, at this deeper stage of prayer at the contemplative experience is continuously giving ourselves over to this. And, you know, Mark, there's so much more that we want to share about all this, but we're running out of time again. <laughs> so Yeah, a little sooner perhaps than we had anticipated. But again, we do plan another conversation on this. So I'm not concerned. I'm looking forward. In fact, I suspect we may end up with a third one uh, now in light of... Um, Uh, the material that we have remaining. But I will say this is a very rich book. um, And just to give Father Haggerty his due, uh, it is titled Contemplative Provocations. It's available through Ignatius Press. And you will see another um, book very much like it, uh, just not to confuse the two, called Contemplative Hunger. And, And I do want to reiterate, as Francis and I both said at the beginning, This is very much Carmelite spirituality. Father Haggerty uh, goes out of his way, in fact, throughout the book uh, to give um, due reference to uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, occasionally St. Therese of Lisieux, for their wonderful teachings that he benefited from, in addition to others who he also makes reference to. But this is very much a a, a Carmelite work. And so for anybody who is pursuing God intensely, you you will find profit from this book. In fact, the subtitle of the content Contemplative Provocations book is, which I really liked, Brief Concentrated Observations on Aspects of a Life with God. Ah, So we're going to learn a lot more. We have so much more to share, um, but uh, as always, we seem to run out of time sooner than we want to. I think we could do a two-hour program pretty easy. (laughs) Do a marathon even, Mark. (laughs) We could just go on and on and on. But at any rate, we want to come to a a close for this part, for this uh, first part of this series, um, with a short prayer from St. John Vianney, who was known as the Curie of Ars. 
And before I do that, I just want to remind everyone that you uh, can find the resources that we use for our programs on our CarmeliteConversations.com website. We have um, a link archived uh, programs there linked with Radio Maria. And then we also have under resources uh, the uh, um, materials that uh, we've pulled uh, a lot from for each of our programs. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, I also want to say uh, how much we appreciate and value the feedback that we receive. And Francis and I receive a, a, a fair amount of uh, feedback, both uh, individuals uh, thanking us for particular programs or messages. And what is equally important, if not perhaps more so, Francis, is when someone says, well, gee, I wish you would do a program on this topic, or I wish you would talk about this. We very much value that. And I hope in, in almost all cases that we have been able to be responsive to that. Uh, we do go over the list. We retain that information and try to go over those lists. So um, we appreciate very much your interest uh, in our conversations and uh, your willingness to participate with us by letting us know what else you might want to hear about. So thank you. And we're so glad you were with us for this conversation. And we hope you'll join us next week when we're going to continue this theme um, and pull from contemplative provocations. So let us get quiet and thank God for his gift of teaching us and drawing us ever closer to him. And let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, do thou offer to the Eternal Father the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the conversion of sinners. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you next week, God bless.